0: If you'd open your Bible to uh, Psalm 91, we're going to continue our our look at the idea of chasing joy. Uh, it, it, it occurred to me I had a had a few days to uh, to pull aside with my my three oldest boys and uh, our Korean son Ji Yun, and uh, you can ask him more about that if you like, uh, or any of the older Meyer children. Uh, so we we were down in Atlanta at a conference and. Uh, over and over again, uh, the importance of desire in human motivation just kept on coming up to me. Over and over, the idea, the idea that that we want joy. It's we we are wired for it. We crave it. We are we are after delight. And somewhere along the line, I think many of us become convinced. That this is inconsistent with biblical morality and that biblical morality means something like be good no matter what and that's it, right? But the idea uh, that, that, that we see in the scriptures that, that Jesus says that he's come that we might have life and that abundantly, you know, or that, that in him our joy would be full. Uh, is is something i think that is profound if we pursue it so again all things in their proper place and in their proper order but let us uh, continue to to look at the scriptures as we as we consider what the scriptures say about uh, chasing joy psalm 91 says this we'll read that and then we're going to pray and and turn the explanation of god's word psalm 91 verse 1 this should hopefully sound familiar to you many many of you The most high who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here and to hear your word. We pray that this word would enter in like oil on a hinge and that it would just slowly seep in removing, displacing rust and crud and dust that we might respond to you intuitively and smoothly the way that you have created us to Lord, we want your word to seep in and to saturate us and to transform our thinking. Lord, we exist as independent beings, though we were created to be connected to you and dependent on you. And so, Lord, I pray that, that today, as we look at your word, that you would teach us to change the way our life is tilted. So often it seems like pursuing you is an uphill battle. But Lord, we pray that you would incline us to your testimonies. That that you would change our heart orientation. That we would seek and pursue you with all that we have and with all of our desire. We will not do it perfectly. But Lord, we pray that you would call us to improve. To be emboldened. Not because what we do earns your favor, but because your favor in Jesus Christ is abundant, and we are thankful for that. And so we pray that you would transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit and help us to live out of gratitude and not out of obligation. Replace drudgery with delight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We, in order to keep our joy in proper perspective we need to keep in balance not to pursue balance in all things because christians are called to be radical they're called to not be idolaters not idolaters of the self not idolaters of any idea but idolaters of jesus he is the one who we worship God is the one who we come to for life and hope and salvation. We don't want to balance our life and be like, well, I'll live half of my life for myself and half of my life for God. We're not pursuing that kind of balance, but we are pursuing a balance between being who we are in response to what God has done for us and then doing what it is that we do with what he's given to us. We want our, our doing to, to flow from our being and not to get, let things get lopsided. If you're like, yeah, that sounds confusing. I don't know what you're talking about. That's two weeks ago in the pulpit. Um, so you can go back. It's on the website. Uh, it begins with Jesus and his work in our being, but it extends into our doing. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Last week, we talked then about margin and priorities. And we talked about four different categories of of time and the way that we use them there's the urgent and the important remember fire right urgent important crying baby particularly if it's yours right or if it looks like it's alone that's urgent and important you you rescue uh, second, urgent and not important. These are the things that are pressing in on you. Interruptions, right? That, things, that, things that might not be important. Sales calls, people who want your time, the doorbell rings, text messages, right? Some of them are not important, but they're pressing in, and we need to learn to, to push them to the side. There's the not urgent and the not important, right? Posting selfies. Right, Facebook statuses, and believe me, you probably know this. I love a good Facebook status. I love a confusing Facebook status. I post a lot of them. Um, I post my Facebook statuses for me, many times. Um, and so, uh, but, 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 but these things are not urgent nor are they ultimately important. They fade. They feel good. They, they are perhaps worth doing but are neither important nor urgent. And then there are is the fourth category things which are not urgent but are important these are the things that do not press in on you they do not demand your time they don't scream they don't sound off alarms they don't lay hold of you and take root but nevertheless they must be done they must get accomplished things like exercise if you're a farmer Planting crops is critical. You have to get them in at the right time because when harvest comes, you want stuff to be popping out of the ground and you want it to be ripe. But if you don't get the seed in the ground, then at harvest time, there is poverty. In this category goes devotion to the Lord. We talked last week about Psalm 46, considering who God is in Psalm 23, feasting, resting, renewing. We need space as human beings to graze in green pastures. We need time to lie beside still waters. We identify in large part and increasingly with the devices that we carry so closely. We think of ourselves as Mobile phones, I I believe, in need of recharging, and so that is what sleep is for us. Well, you know, I only need three or five hours in order to get to 75%, and then I can live my life. But we're not machines, we're beings that require rest and renewal. So, margin is important, making time, that's last week. We move from margin, though, in creating space, in creating opportunity to relate to God, we move into a place where we must become incredibly aware of the divine. We must become incredibly aware of what God is doing in the world, in what he's seeking to do in us, in what he has supplied, and what he has accomplished for us. And I wonder if... Things get so foggy sometimes in our life because we've got so little space on the edge of our pages, so such little margin that that we're not spending time moving towards the Lord and figuring out what it is that He's doing in us and for us, and so things get a little crazy. Let me let me share a little story with you about. It's not a little story. It's a big story. It's an important story. 1776 in August, uh, the American. Uh, revolutionary forces were defeated by the British at the Battle of Long Island. And uh, Washington pulls his forces uh, out of New York City into the area of Brooklyn Heights. You're like, that's in the five boroughs, right? No, that's, that's, this, this is, it was like a lot of it is swampland, right, at this point. Um, not, not particularly valuable. But so, so they pull back, and here's what happens. The British forces think this. Washington was just roundly defeated. This was a horrific loss for him. He will surrender. He's going to. Washington pulls back and and begins to try to regain his ground and to regroup. And here's what happens. The British allow the fog to roll in. And they say, in the morning, when the sun comes up and the fog burns off and we move in, they will surrender. Well, here's what happened as the British troops observed all night. They saw the campfires burning. They heard noise of food preparation from the camp. They heard animals making animal noises, and they heard people having conversations. But here's what they didn't know. Washington had sent messages out. He asked a, a very uh, privileged and, and well-trained group of people who were in his army to tend every single campfire and to run throughout the entire American position making noise and preparing food and making animal noises, while boats, an entire uh, uh, randomly you know, ad hoc assembled flotilla of ships came and moved 9,000 soldiers across the water overnight in secret. They, they, they padded the wheels of the wagons, they muffled the animals so that they would not be able to make noises, but they, they kept everything as quiet as they possibly could as the army retreated and in the morning when the fog burned off and the British went, the army was gone. They thought they knew what was going on in the fog, but they had no idea. We experience the world through our perceptions. We experience life through our interactions with others. And many times what I believe we do is we then take those interactions and the way that we shape and deal with our experiences and we apply them to the Lord. We move those experiences on to God. We, we apply them to Jesus and we say, therefore, this is the way that he thinks. This is the way that he acts. And if we do not abide, if we remain distant, if we don't move into the fog, move into the mystery and get up close, we really can lose track of what is going on. We have a hazy perception of what God is like and what he is doing. Part of the reason is that we are fallen beings and we struggle with our own flesh. More about that uh, in greater detail next week when we talk about self-awareness. But thinking about abiding, thinking about uh, divine awareness, what we need to do is we need to move in regularly on who God is, what he is doing, what he is like, what he has promised, how he is working in the world so that we can know him with clarity instead of just allowing our rusty thinking, our decaying fallen thinking to dominate our story. Let's look at Psalm 91. Let's look first at the promise that leads things off. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, he who dwells in the shadow of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. This is a promise. This is not just religiosity, psalmic language, the opening line to a song. There is a promise here that one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in his shadow. Living within the shelter means we abide in the shadow. What does that mean? Uh, Birds, certain birds, some kind of birds of of prey will protect their eggs, they will kind of float, put their wings out like this and they'll cover their eggs and this is not just a means of keeping the sun off, it's also a means of saying to those animals which would take their eggs, those other birds of, of prey which would swoop down and, and peck those eggs open and eat what's inside of it or, or pluck up a, a little chick and, and fly away with it, you know, this is a way of them saying, come at me, bro. You know, like something's gonna happen. The wings are are shadowing. The idea is, is the shadow that's created is, is extends the benefits of the protector. Come on, mama bird will mess you up. Now I don't know, like from a distance, because I, I live a lot of my life like most of us do, like through either books, remember those, or a screen. Right, I, I think like birds. What, what's the big deal? But man, you know, even small birds, when they're flying around, creating chaos and confusion, they're intimidating. You have seen any of these v- videos of the turkeys that are like terrorizing communities? Yeah, they're like they, they decide this is my home, and it's under someone's mailbox, and then they go to try to get the mail, and the turkey's like, no, no, no. Like, you do not step in my territory. They're like, I just, I just, want, I just want my bills, you know, I just want to pay Comcast, you know, and the turkey's like, uh-uh, not having it. Go away. And you watch people lose their minds when they encounter a large bird, right? Um, the, the, the benefit of the protector is territorial. Think about this. God is a willing protector who shadows and covers his own. We, by our nature our fallen corrupted disconnected nature we have learned to live on our own resources we've declared ourselves to be independent and so we live out many times in our experience and in our day-to-day life far from the lord out from underneath his shadow and we think it's good you know like I have my devotion my dedication and my morals and my 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 clarity of of purpose and I've got all this stuff and we live out as a lone ranger and we have no clue many times of the forces that are aligned against us the pressures that come at us from the world the weakness that lives in our independent self, and the schemes which the devil is regularly and routinely plotting to get us to fall into sin. The wings are spread, the shadow is cast. And we are called to come and live underneath those wings. We don't like the idea, I believe, that, that Psalm 23 says that we are sheep. He's the good shepherd, another Psalm says. We are the sheep of his pasture. We think, like, this is not my spirit animal, right? Like, I'm, I'm an eagle, right? Like, I'm a tiger, right? How many songs have you heard on pop radio? You know, I've got the eye of the sheep right? It does not inspire confidence. It does not not fill us with with energy and power, but that's the point. The image has to fit who we actually are and what we really need. The promise here is that if we hold close to God if we cling tightly to him if we remain under the shadow if we abide or if if we are in his shadow then we will abide with him do you believe that you need that you think like no i am i am like i'm a tiger you are declaring that you are a lone ranger and and you will be dead spiritually you will, you will get wrecked routinely. As Christians, we need to remember that, that he is our source and our supply, and we are dependent on him, and we need to swallow our pride on a routine basis and humble ourselves and come to God. The promise is that we will have what we need. Look at the action in response to the promise, the profession of chapter 91, verse to here, I will say to the Lord. So now the psalmist uh, has identified the promise. He sees who God is. And so he says to the Lord, You are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You're my protection. You're the place I rest. I trust you. I can remember being young and alone and in this place of. Of, of just young anger, probably 17, 18, and driving around town in my, my uh, it was like a navy blue Volkswagen Rabbit, it had the crank roof, and, and I had a, a, a copy of the Simon and Garfunkel album on cassette, right? Um, this is back when we used to think about records being translated into cassettes. You, you, man, you know, it's like side two, yes! Remember that? We don't, we don't do that anymore. Paul Simon singing, I am a rock. I'm an island, right? Rocks feel no pain. Islands never cry, like tough. There comes a point as human beings where we need to realize that we are dependent. A stewardess discovered that Muhammad Ali was on a plane they weren't surprised that he was on the plane. They discovered that, uh, that, that he had not fastened his seatbelt. And so the stewardess said, uh, Mr. Ali, you know, you will, you will need to fasten your seatbelt. And he said, do you know who I am? And she said, yes, Mr. Ali, you're gonna need to fasten your seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she said, Superman don't need no plane. Fasten your seatbelt. If we know who we are and we realize what it is that we have been created for and who we've been created by, then we are going to look to the Lord and we're going to say, I need you, and I am going to trust in you. Think about all the things that we trust in, right? Belts, zippers, I was walking through a hotel this week and the the zipper on my backpack had popped and I was looking around and I'm like, somebody dropped socks on the ground, you know? (laughs) Like, not realizing that they were mine, you know? Because my my backpack has, it has weathered the storm. I mean, it has gone from country to continent to place to place uh, and the, the, the zipper had failed. Uh, we depend on our phones. Think of the anxiety that presses in, right, when you are an hour away from being wherever your power cord is and you're at 3% and your lifeline is about to go out. Have you ever stood at a light switch in the middle of a power outage and you're like, maybe if I just keep flipping it, the lights will come on. The power's out. The power is out. Flipping the switch does nothing. But we've put our trust there. It's our source. It's our supply. Knowing the promise, the psalmist says, I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge. You are my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I draw close to you. I get in with you. I'm near you. I'm under your shadow. I'm abiding and living with you. Look at what it says next. The Bible speaks of provision. He will deliver you. Thank you, my son. a wise son makes his father glad, thank you. I will double your inheritance. Um, No, maybe not. Um, Look at what is said here, all the things that will happen All the things that the Lord will provide, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with his pinions. Under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield, right? A shield compared to a buckler. There's a big shield and then a buckler is a little shield. Uh, which you use when you've, when you've got a, a sword and you're getting into close combat. You have this little buckler thing when you can't carry your, your big shield. But this is just good Hebrew poetry, repeating uh, the idea twice here. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Notice what this section is called. It's called provision. Provision. First is promise, then profession, then provision. Not performance. Not performance. This is what we do over and over and over again. We think, now I must do this thing. Now I must remain free from temptation. Now I must bear up under every strain. Now I must live perfectly. We move from, I'm saved by grace as we sing it in a worship service on Sunday to I must maintain my salvation with my performance. And it happens very subtly. Why? Because we compare our relationship with God with every other relationship in our life. Do do, do we... Do we go to work by grace? Maybe by God's grace, yes. But like, you can't be like, I didn't, I didn't do the report, I failed, I, I, I work here by grace, right? I didn't, just didn't feel like showing up on Monday, you know, grace, no, performance. That's the way the human race works. You do these things, we pay you. You measure up to our standard, we pay you, right? You fail, we eventually, after the long HR process, we decide that we are going to release you and get rid of you, right? And now you are gone because you did not live up to the standard. Many of us have had extremely damaging, difficult interactions with people where they say, you failed to perform in the way that I wanted you to and now you are out of my life. I cross you off my list, you are dead to me. And we think, surely God is the same way. Even if we sing and we profess it on one level. Now some of you, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay. There are others of you who are like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, okay. So anyway, provision, not performance. Look at, look at the character of God here. Think about yourself as just a, a, little, a little bird under the wings of God. And he is protecting you and you are in the documentary right and it's like the little baby christian leaves the protection of the mother's wings and you you know immediately when you hear the documentary narrator doing that you think oh no 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 my wife's like not the baby bird you know and so You know, here is the snare, it is laid there. The fowler, the one who who catches and sells birds so that people can eat them or like make crafts out of their feathers or whatever it is. You know, the, the, the baby bird is stepping towards the snare and you're like, that's it, the baby's gonna die. And then the mama bird's like, nope, nope, don't step there. Watch out, hey, hey, look out, look out, right? You deliver me from the snare. This is not master snare evasion 101 performance this is rescued from snares and pestilence protected led delivered rescued his wings spread out and cover me under his wings i found find shelter protection rest a cessation of trouble isn't it troubling to you as a Christian if you are filled with anxiety about your relationship with God your security with him your assurance before him your position the validity of your adoption your ability to rest securely in his promises isn't it troubling to you that somewhere in your soul you feel like I must work hard to maintain this isn't it exhausting But listen, when you see a bunch of puppies hanging out with their mom, right? When you see a bunch of baby chicks sleeping, do they sleep standing up? I don't know. I'm suddenly realizing I don't know that I've ever seen baby chicks sleeping. All right, take a step back. Puppies. They're not anxious, they're not worried. Mama dog is kind of looking out like, do I need to bite someone, right? You know? Bear cub wandering around, not a care in the world, right? You know, tourist comes, picks the bear cub up, and is like, yay! And then, like, you know, devastated, mama bear comes along and, and, and destroys said tourist. We are to rest in the shelter of God's love and care we hold close to him, we move toward him instead of fearing him in anxiety. If you struggle with this on some level, if you're thinking, yeah, it's, it's difficult, I'm nervous about this, do you think you're the only cause of that? Or do you think maybe there's a conspiracy afoot in your life, a spiritual attack to keep you from resting in God, to keep you thinking i need to raise my children perfectly i need to have enough money for every circumstance i need to live this way with my spouse or they're going to they're going to abandon me they're going to leave me i need to do this i need to do that anxious and anxiety everywhere instead and, and there's there's nervousness maybe if i'm not good enough i'll get cancer or this or that maybe we just think maybe we're called to think God is protecting me, and he will protect me, and I will rest in him. We see provision. We think my good deeds are my shield. They are my maintenance. They're me paying the rent. But it says that our shield is his faithfulness. His faithfulness to us he provides what we need uh, next we see progress this is verses 5 through 13 we're just gonna move quickly you were thinking this is gonna take two and a half hours uh, no it's not uh, what he says here is is that we will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day. Listen, this doesn't mean that because we we decided, oh, you know what, I'm gonna practice abiding when I go home. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some of the practical things that, that Keith said, and I'm gonna I'm gonna live this way, that on Sunday evening or on Monday, suddenly we're gonna be transformed. No, this is a you will, this is an in the future, as you begin to experience closeness with God, as you draw near to him, you will notice a change you will notice a deliverance from fear you will not fear certain things you will be delivered and you will see it that's verse 7 10000 may fall at your side or 1000 may fall at your side 10000 at your right side but it will not come near you you'll notice i was preserved and kept through this difficult experience God delivered me. We'll see progress in our connection and our relationship. No evil, verses 9 through 10, will crush us. Verse 11, you will have angelic protection. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Every now and again I say something like this and people throw rocks at me, okay? I've never seen angels in my life. Never. Okay? People are like, you're not spiritual enough, right? I've never seen them. But listen, I know they are there. I know they're there. Why? Because that's what I'm told. And I trust God because I've seen his faithfulness. We will experience growth in deliverance from acting afraid. Okay. Let's talk about fear just for a second. Jesus went into the garden and was fearful. Of tasting sin of going to the cross of being alienated from his father he was fearful he was anxious he was so filled with with frustration and difficulty that he bled as he sweated but he did not act afraid he did not run away nevertheless not my will but your will be done we will as Christians we will feel the fear we will understand how it is that we're trusting and depending on the Lord but we will not act afraid we will act boldly in the face of fear you don't think David was afraid at all when he walked out onto the battlefield to face Goliath you don't think Joshua was a little nervous walking around the city of Jericho seven times man you think about like the the risk of embarrassment 7 days he had to walk around that city one time each day and then seven on the seventh day you don't think they were getting made fun of on the seventh day like throwing stuff at them off the walls mocking them like i am sure that they felt anxiety or nervousness and wondering okay we're going to obey we're going to do what we think is faithful we're we're going to we're going to step out in faith You realize Moses had to hold his staff out. He was told to hold his staff out over the sea. Not 10 seconds like in the cartoon versions of this thing, like, and then the water moves. No, he had to hold that thing out there all night. I'm wondering if at all he was, like, saying to anybody, like, you think we ought to make a backup plan? Backup plan. What are we going to do if this doesn't work? What's the the backup plan here? No. We... As humans, we crave being repaired from our limitations instead of being grown in our ability to rely on God. If that's the struggle, if the struggle is maybe one day I won't have to trust. Look, you're going to have to dig deep. We'll talk more about this next week. You're going to need to pull back the layers and look at your soul and say, what is it that I'm striving for that, that keeps me from, from pressing into God as much as I can? If it's, if it's God will fix me and I won't have to rely, it's never going to happen. Salvation and the human experience is from first to last by faith. Always, always, always we were created to rely. If the sun were to cease to shine no one would ever see the moon ever again. It lives off the light of the sun, and this is why people look at it and say, isn't that beautiful? Let's fall in love. Like, it's because the sun exists. And we reflect and feed off of and live off of the glory of God. If we're trying to work ourselves out of dependence, it will never happen. So in the end of this passage, I think, we see a paradigm shift. There's a promise, then there is profession, then there is an observance of God's provision, and then there is a sense that we will experience some progress, but then there is a incredible paradigm shift. And I can put it only this way, this is what I think. My wife asked me when we were going through the memorization of this through the fighter verses, she said, why does it change in verse 14 to 16 um, to, uh, to 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 God speaking like doesn't that just seem kind of strange in the song why why is that and and I gave her the intensely astute biblical answer of saying uh, because that's what happens in the psalm that's why it does that because I was kind of like I don't know you know that's moving along but this is this is what I think as we press in, as we live under the shadow, as we begin to see progress, as we press into the haze and we see what's really going on in the world as we draw close to God and we throw away our own perceptions and constructions and we root ourselves in this truth, this is what I think happens. The volume of all that the world is saying to us, of all the deceit of our heart and all the lies of the devil begin to fade as the volume backs off and we will hear the song of God and that's what this is right here it's a song now I don't sing I'm not gonna sing it I don't have any notes But these are what I think are the big takeaways you can memorize these lyrics and sing it to yourself and say this is what God thinks about me You ever do that? You ever think of a a song, a hymn? And and you start going through the lines in your head, and it's almost like you can hear the music. You ever do this? Eight pronouncements here in this passage. Look at them. Verse 14, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Verse 15, I will answer. Verse 14, 4, sorry, not verse 4, verse 15, I will be with. Verse 14 again, I will rescue, I will honor, I will satisfy, I will show him my salvation. I don't know about you, but when I, when I grasp that, when I look at that and I think, What is it that God will give me? What is it that that I will find at the end of the spiritual rainbow? What is it that that happens when when I quest and I arrive and I throw the doors open and I say, what is the reward when I hear these pronouncements? I will deliver, I will protect, I will answer, I will be with, I will rescue, I will honor, I will satisfy, I will show, I think, that is good. That's what I want. You need rescue, and he will rescue us. We can say to him, I trust you because you're going to protect me do what you need to do you you can you can blow up this car lord please don't blow up my car right now but but you can blow up this car and i will say how will i ever get out of this and then i'll look back on having that car and watching it blow up five years later and think like here i am i'm still alive isn't that amazing and when i went through that difficulty i thought the world was over i'll be able to say okay I've got a bad diagnosis here, something could be wrong. Something might be wrong with my child. I trust you, I trust you. And that's not like, I trust you, and I'm trusting you, and I'm trusting you like this. Make something good happen, right? That's what we do a lot of times, we make a bargain. Like, I'll trust you, you just make sure it works out the way I want it to. Do what you need to do, Lord, shape me, teach me to trust. I believe that the fear that we feel the anxiety that we feel is necessary so that we can see and celebrate the deliverance of God he says I will answer answers will come I will be with him his presence is assured God is with me God is for me we we think many times that it's like you know what I've got my ATM card that solves my problems problem solved, problem solved, problem solved. Oh, now I have to pray. That's our our gut-based reaction. But God is with us. He will honor us. We will understand and see and know the value and the respect that he has for us. Watch a nature documentary. You will learn that you are a speck of dust. You do not matter, and that in 14 million years, all of the stars are going to go out, all the last of the energy will be used up, and everyone will die freezing cold. That's what nature teaches us. Nature documentaries, scientists are like, let's just all get on board with the idea of evolution and leave behind religion, right? Sure, let's embrace hopelessness. you do your thing, I'll, I'll do this, you know, this is working for me, I see it, I, I know it, I believe it, it is true, because we have seen the change and the transformation, you are not just a speck in the universe, you will be satisfied, God says, taste and see that I am good. And then the last, I will show him my salvation. You will not only see your own deliverance in place in the plan and purpose of God, but you will see how it is that he is calling you to partner with him and make a difference. We'll talk about that in about three weeks. How does this progress take place? The same way the kingdom takes place. We take, we clear up time, we free up margin that we might abide. And so how are you doing? Did you take time this week to abide? Did you slow down and say, I just need to spend extra time with God? We have to dedicate ourselves to focusing on the unurgent but important. We have to make sure that we spend time dealing with the things that are not screaming for our attention, nevertheless, are important. Now, I see three pieces here in this passage that connect to how we abide. Now, just be careful here, because here's where things might get tricky. Suddenly you're going to be like, oh, I have to do this in order to earn God's affection. No, because God's affection is there, therefore, in gratitude and because of his goodness and because of his love, do these things, right? Verse 14 says... That the one who abides holds fast to God in love hold fast to him in love this requires discipline abiding requires discipline it is not urgent but it is important just three ways that we can embrace discipline in our life one is to take time to think and to hear and that means silence and solitude This app that I was talking about last week, Moment, there's a challenge on it that says, can you avoid picking up your phone for a half an hour? Now, if you're wired into your phone, you're like, I don't have a mobile phone, right? Um, That's cool. But man, if you've got a phone and you use it, not touching it for a half an hour, not allowing it to distract you can be a challenge. And think of all the other things that we distract ourselves with food, the radio, doing stuff but to actually just stop and spend time in silence and to think and to hear, to sort out all that we're absorbing to say, here's what's going on in my life. How do I apply the word? What is it that I need? Silence and solitude, taking time to think and to hear preemptive prayer, taking time to have a conversation. This is the in the morning getting to the place where we're depending and saying, God, I'm, I'm coming to you. I confess my sins. I express my need. I, I, I offer those, those requests to you for areas that I need your help, and I thank you for what you've done. And then a third area here is fasting, which is time devoted to proving that appetite is not the ruler. That food does not own us. Second, It says, when he calls to me, I will answer. The one who is abiding calls to God. I believe that this is the active experience of relating to God on a a regular basis. Eyes that are tuned, that are looking to see providence, right? Lord, I see what you're doing here, and and I want to go there. Have you ever had this incredibly spiritual experience of just needing to go pick up one thing and every line in the store is a mile long? Lord, make me more patient. Here are lines in the supermarket. right? God is making me wait. You don't want to grow in patience. Don't pray for patience. God will make you wait. I see what you're doing, Lord, and I want to go there. The other way that we search for the providence of God in our life is we say, Lord, I'm not sure what you're doing in this circumstance, so point it out to me. Teach me. Show me. Calling to God by building friendships. Lord, send me companions who will affirm who I am so that I do not think that I am worthless. Send me companions who will confirm my gifts and my direction. Send me companions who will inspect my life and say, I think you're struggling here, or I think you need to address this. Send me friends who will encourage me in the midst of tough circumstances. This is a place for active prayer, which is the ongoing conversation of the day. Lord, give me strength, direct me, lead me, guide me. What do I do now? What should I do in this situation? What would wisdom do? What would your son do in this case? Teach me, show me. I think that we embrace ongoing active praise in music. As we hear worship songs that connect to us on a deep level, we realize that God created us for praise and we embrace the wonder of life and interact emotionally. And so praise is important. It's not something that we endure on the way to the sermon. If you're into praise, you don't get what that means. But if you're into sermons, then maybe you get that. You're like, you know, the, the music, we just got to get away to that so we can get to the sermon. Music is powerful. It Drives away Darkness call to him active experience and then finally know his name i will protect him because he knows my name be careful not to insert obligation here if i don't know his name he won't protect me you know don't don't do that know his name this is reading god's word and getting it inside of you i like to think of a sermon as a cheat meal right if you know what that is like for diets, it's like, it's like a fun thing to do. It's exciting. It should be encouraging. That's the way we should treat sermons. But then there's the ongoing eating plan, right? You know, we need to have our own input on a regular basis. We need to be absorbing it, taking it in, feeling it, allowing it to soak in us so that it can do its work. It will not do its work unless it's in us. Study God's Word. I love writing it out by hand. Powerful. You don't have to do it that way, but study it. Pick up and examine the words and look at them. Memorize God's Word. We conveniently work on a fighter verse every week here. If you pick up one verse a week and focus on it and try to memorize it, by the end of the year you'll have 52 of them done. When I drive Hank to school, I will, um, I will open up the verse of the day, you know, and read that to him while we're waiting in the car line, 365 of those a year. Get God's word in you and memorize, by the way, understanding that you're going to forget. That's totally cool. Memorize so much scripture that when you forget some of them, it doesn't matter because you've got so many others in there. Meditate on God's word, turning it over and over and over and over. Why do we do this? It's not just to know stuff, right? Like, if football's your thing, I get around some football people and I'm like, yeah, go pack, right? You know, and I'm like, we crushed it last Sunday. And then they're like, do you know how many rushing yards he went for? And I'm like, whoa, 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 too much. <laughs> too much, too much. No, like, I am not, I'm not there. Like, okay, football's your thing, do that. But if like Jesus is your thing, like, then theology, like, I need to know all the things. But that's not, we're not just, Knowing this to know stuff. We're knowing it to find the promises of God. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. We know that. But you know what's tagged along the end of that? I will be with you always. That's powerful. He'll be with us as we do the work. He promised it. To know the pronouncements of God. In christ you become the very righteousness of god man drive that stake into the ground and say that is my identity and when the devil says you are a worthless miserable failure piece of garbage you say that's not what god says about me i know this is true promises Pronouncements, And then finally, we trace the contours of the character of God. We want to know his person. We want to identify the boundaries of who he is. We want to learn all the things about his character. To be assured that he's a promise keeper. To know that he has the power to accomplish what he says and the faithfulness to bring it all to pass. We build time and space into it. I just got to stop and we got to pray and we're going to sing. but but we build space into our lives so that we can look off at the fog, right? You know, where we're like, God lives in there. Isaiah, I believe it's in chapter 42. Isaiah says, surely you are a God who hides yourself. Here's the impressive Latin word, Deus Absconditus, God who hides. He's in there. We need to take the time And go in search of him. We need to go find him. We need to go in. And look and say teach me. Show me who you are. You know what we discover when we're in there. He is everything that we need. He is everything that, that if we are not out of alignment that we truly want. He is the secret of our most full, mature, excellent desires. But we must make the time and bravely engage seeking God, or we will not find joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and kindness. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that if if the devil is working overtime right now on somebody, making them feel awful about who they are, or just... that their their flesh and their failures in the past to pursue and to seek you are are overwhelming and, and making them feel like, man, I just do not measure up. I am a lousy Christian. I pray that you would send that away in Jesus' name and instead replace it with full, clear assurance that you will be found, you say in the book of Jeremiah, when we seek you with our whole heart. May we pursue you that's your design may we get underneath the shadow of your wings and abide and may you burn away the fog that obscures who you are as we pursue you and seek you father we thank you for jesus he is the path that we walk upon he is the light that guides us he is the righteousness that we possess and we have no ability to come to you apart from him and so i pray That as we seek and pursue you, that you would clarify and clear up misconceptions, deliver us from our independence, and help us to rely and depend on you. Teach us to abide, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.